This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder, president, and executive director of the Lynn Cohen Foundation and The Seam, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing researchers, doctors, scientists, female founders, entrepreneurs to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. Sarah Martinez, I am so excited to be interviewing you today. We've talked a lot lately about genetics and how genetics relate to cancer, women's cancers, cancer prevention, and then also, of course, what that means to our risk for cancer. And in particular, what I focus on, as we know, is breast and ovarian cancer. So what I'd like to jump into right away is for you to tell us your story. I've read about it. Lots of people have read about how eloquently you've explained and talked about BRCA, what it means. And when I've said that to those letters and BRCA, BRCA, however you want to say it, you see lots of eyes pop open and you see lots of women look at me like they don't even know what I'm talking about. So, you know, Tell us your story. Tell us, you know, what it meant when you figured out what that meant to you and just jump into it, you know, being told you're BRCA positive. Did you even know what that meant, et cetera, et cetera. And let's just find out how scary that was and then how you dealt with it and that now how you're dealing with it and talking about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to share more about my experience. I, you know, of course I've written about it before and talked about it openly. I think it is so important to share our stories because it helps people feel less alone. I especially know that for myself, when I receive a diagnosis, you kind of feel as if you are part of this club that is a different club because you don't necessarily have cancer yet, but you feel as if you do. So I didn't find that many people that were talking about having the genetic mutation. So for me, it was really important to talk about it openly. So I appreciate the chance to talk about it here today. So I actually found out a really unique way. Well, first I ordered a 23andMe for fun. So me and my family, I think all, you know, maybe for one Hanukkah, we kept giving each other the 23andMe. Everyone gave each other that. And it was just supposed to be a fun way to see our, you know, our ancestry. And I like to think of myself as a mild hypochondriac. And so I added on the health benefits. Nobody gifted it to me, but I added them on for fun because I actually was interested in seeing if I had the Alzheimer's gene because my grandma had passed away. She had Alzheimer's. At the time, they were not FDA approved to tell you if you had one of the three mutations for the BRCA mutation. That didn't even cross my mind. Also, I always thought about breast cancer as in you look at the women's side of your family. And I actually got the gene from my father's side. But I, again, you're thinking like the women in your family, you're not thinking about genetics in that sort of sense. So I guess in my naive mind, I thought, well, no woman in my family has ever had breast cancer. That's like an aunt, a close aunt or anything like that. And so, I, you know, knock on wood, I'm probably fine. So I think it was about a year and a half later and we get an email saying, 
23andMe has now been FDA approved to tell you if you carry one of these three mutations. Most often, they are common in Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. And according to my 23andMe, I know that I'm 75 or so percent Ashkenazi Jewish. So I had a weird feeling. On your mom's side or your dad's side? On my mom's side, she's full Ashkenazi Jewish. My dad is half. Okay. So then I remembered also my dad had a cousin who passed away, who had breast cancer, passed away from ovarian cancer. She had the BRCA2 mutation. But in my mind, it's my dad's cousin that's so far removed. I wasn't thinking about it. And then, of, of course, I couldn't wait for the results. They said you would get the results in a couple of weeks. I couldn't wait. So I, you know, I'm going online, found myself in a Reddit hole of how you can download your raw data and then you can plug it into this other website. And I did that two in the morning and it came up with BRCA2 positive. Two in the morning, that's how I find out. You know, just like thinking about that time, you know, when you find out like the worst information and you get hot inside, it's like your body reacts. I just remember like feeling instantly sick to my stomach, hot inside, and just like confused. But also, I had found it through this website, not really sure if this is accurate. And I couldn't call my mom. I want to call my mom right away, but I didn't know she's sleeping. And then I ended up going to a genetic counselor. I think that Friday, who then confirmed with a blood test that I do carry the gene. So that's how I found out. Okay. So let's take a pause. Um, I actually just recently interviewed a genetic counselor and we talked a lot about these tests like 23andMe and doing them and finding out a slew of genetic information about yourself without doing it side by side with a genetic counselor. So One, I'm not a fan of doing them without a genetic counselor with you from the beginning, but I'm happy that you immediately talk to a genetic counselor because most people don't. And I think finding out that kind of information without having that kind of counseling by a true expert right there with you, it's too much. It's too much in so many different ways because it has so many different layers to it that you need to go through it with a true expert who can really then dive into the information with you and talk to you about all that it means, all that your options are, you know, and really start with your family history. And now you know why to talk to a genetic counselor first to talk about, okay, let's talk about your father's cousin and what that meant to have breast cancer, die of ovarian cancer. Let's talk about all other people you can find out and then do the genetic testing and then, you know, walk through what it means to have genetic mutations. And there's so many other genetic mutations and genes that we know about that we can, you know, then explore and, and make up a whole picture of who you are, Sarah, and what that means. And then your age and where you are in your life and all sorts of factors and make really good, solid decisions. And then what we call previving, right? Making decisions based on where you are and preventive care and then how that'll affect other decisions, you know, farther down in your life. So I'm really happy that you talked to genetic counselor right away. Of course, I wish you had done it from the beginning, but understand there's Same. all this access, you know, to testing that is so easy. It's like, you know, a Christmas gift, a Hanukkah gift, a birthday present. Let's find out where, you know, who we are and where we come from. But then all you get this incredible amount of information that's really anxiety producing as you experience firsthand. And then like you said, and I read in your article, what's the first yeah. thing you do? You 
you Google it, you know, and there's so much information out there. So much of it is, is really scary. So much of it's really wrong and too much to go through on your own. So, so you talked to a genetic counselor, you found out what it meant to be BRCA positive, BRCA2, I believe. And then what, what was your next step after that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think the too much access is really difficult for especially someone who has anxiety, can overthink, um, and likes to do a lot of Googling and researching. So I do want to emphasize that seeing the genetic counselor, even though she confirmed the diagnosis and that was devastating for me, I felt so much better that I had the support and she could sit with me and say, here's your risk right now versus you know, when you hear your risk, lifetime risk, that's so overwhelming. But she's saying, here's your current risk right now. And especially with ovarian cancer, and, you know, I've been on birth control that lowers my risk, like all these certain factors in my life really helps me understand my current risk. And just having that someone to talk to, you know, a human element. So for me, I am the kind of person that likes to deal with things right away. And I like to kind of feel it strongly and kind of get over it. So it was no surprise to me of how I dealt with this. And I also know myself and I'm someone who overthinks and I am someone who struggles with anxiety. So I basically just wanted to have a preventative double mastectomy as soon as possible because I didn't want to think about this again. I did one ultrasound. And that was enough for me. And I was like, I don't want to do this every six months. And I just felt like I just know myself. Honestly, it was like the quickest turnaround within six months. I had my preventative double mastectomy. How old were you at this time? Oh, let's see. I was four years ago. I'm 35 now. So 31. Okay. And were there any other factors that you thought about before having your surgery? Let's see. Yeah, there was a ton of factors. So after I found out or after I spoke with the genetic counselor and nobody, you know, persuaded me into one way or another. And I even remember for other people in my life, it was really soon that I had made this decision. That's what, you know, understandably. But for me, I knew I don't want to think about this again. And I have done all the research and I want to move on with my life and I'm going to put my health into my own hands. And so the first thing I got to doing was just researching on Google about what it's like to have a preventative double mastectomy. What are my options? There's all types of ways to have one. And I also knew that I kept reading about... I also joined different Facebook groups there's different Facebook groups of people out there with the mutation, you know, previvor groups and certain things like that. I think I went to a couple support groups through force. And then I knew that I was going to do the double mastectomy. I then went into research mode. I figured out I wanted to do, I believe it's called direct to implant or the one step. I wanted to do that. Like I had told myself, I had read enough about the different ways. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. And then it was the next step was researching different doctors, which is a whole, you know, that's difficult in and of itself. And then interviewing doctors. Yeah. I ended up finding this incredible 
all female team in Beverly Hills. And I felt like as strange as it was, I remember after meeting them, I felt excited. And I mean, who who feels excited to have a double mastectomy? I don't know, but I felt like I finally knew I was in good hands. Yeah, no, at pause, yeah. I think that Listen, I think it's scary and it's really nerve-wracking and anxiety-producing, but I do think there's a level of excitement where you're you're doing what I preach, which is you were taking your health and your wellness into your own hands and you were making really tough decisions, but a decision to previve and you were taking a chance to, you know, not go down a really scary road, choosing another scary road but one that had you know, more certain consequences, which was, I am going to take the risk of cancer, you know, really far down as opposed to, I'm going to be afraid for a lot of my life. Um, And I think that's, that is exciting. And a lot of people won't do that. You know, that's really scary, but that's also really exciting. There's another gal that I know that we do a lot of work with, and I do a lot of speaking opportunities with, and, and she went down the, she had, you know, very similar, she was diagnosed with diagnosed is the wrong word. She found out she was BRCA positive and she has a history of cancer in her family. And she too had, you know, taken her, her life in her hands and, and was really excited and now feels like this giant weight lifted off of her chest. I mean, physically, <laughs> um, and has great new boobs, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah, sort of talk, phys- you know? literally physically. <laughs> yes. That's how I feel. Physically, yeah. Feeling really feeling lighter you know, literally taking your boobs away, putting new ones Mm -hmm. on. That might've been more what you wanted anyways. It's sort of an added bonus. But talk to me about the actual surgery because, you know, some people I've heard absolutely who people who are like, well, you just wanted new boobs. And it's like, okay, that's incredibly ignorant. This is real surgery. This This is very intense and it's multiple surgeries and you can have a great team who you're working with, but this is not a cakewalk. So, you know, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about that and a little bit of that experience and what that was like. Yeah, happy to. And I'm an open book with it all. You know, it's funny because when I talk to other people about to have their surgery, I remember it as I tell it as it really is so much harder in your head. When you wake up, you think I'm on the other side. And I do remember there are hard parts to it. Of course, it's a long recovery. But when I look back at it now, it's almost like childbirth. You're like, that wasn't so bad. I think, you know what I was more afraid of was the pain. So before I had that, I didn't even, I've never even broken a bone. I have had like a mole removed and that was it. So I was so focused on the physical pain. I was obsessed with researching, what is the pain? Am I going to be screaming in pain? That I underestimated the mental effect it would have on me. And like that versus the pain, it wasn't that painful. I was actually surprised. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough. They did a nerve block. They did all these things to really help with the pain. So I, you know, I think that was like, I thought I built that up more in my head. And I really also did a lot of research on how to recover successfully, right? So like I got myself, I rented a hospital bed to make it really easy. I stayed at my parents who could help me. Like I set, I almost like set myself up like for success. I got mm-hmm. all the things that I thought would really help me. Um, and I was really determined and focused. And the thing I remember being the hardest is like what I would cry over is your 
mentally farther than where you are physically. So like, while I want to get up, take a shower, do my hair, I'm exhausted after just walking up the stairs. And that was like really frustrating for me. And I didn't understand what it would actually mean when you can't move your body the way you want to, you know, and it feels time is really slow at that time, even though it's like probably six week recovery. But like when you can't get up yourself, it's so frustrating or like being able to hold something that you could normally hold your body recovers so quickly. It really does. Like I remember saying like, this is just going to be, it's going to feel big right now, but it's going to be the smallest little blip in my life. You know? So I think like I tell people it was almost harder in my head. And yes, there will be moments that will be frustrated and you will cry. And I even had like a really good outcome. Like I love my boobs. I couldn't be more happy, you know? So I think there's also like other people don't have that experience, but I was very lucky, but it's still hard. But it looking back, like it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah. And cancer is a lot harder. Exactly. And I felt lucky that I was able to make this choice. Yeah. A hundred percent. You had the choice. Do you have siblings? I have a sister. She also is BRCA positive and she probably will have her double mastectomy soon. I think she, she and I are different. I'm someone who, you know, with a personality that wants to do something right away, but not everyone is like that. And I think it's really important that people, you know, choose what they find to be most comfortable for themselves. Absolutely. And tell me what your plan is with your gynecologist and your ovaries. Yes. So that one, I think I at least have a little bit more time there. So that's good. And it does make me feel comforted that taking birth control, thank God my mom put me on birth control at 15. So I've been on it for some time, which lowers my risk. I um, go see the oncologist every six months. I make sure I'm always, you know, there. I get my say 125 test. I do my ultrasound. I get all that done. And then I think the plan is when I'm 45, we start talking about, you know, my different options and things like that. I have a feeling that medicine changes, you know, so much that it could look different around that time, but that will be my plan. I I feel like I'm kind of not thinking about it so much. No. And those are good uh, points to point to, to. Those are good takeaways. So one is a lot of people don't know that being on birth control for a long period of time does reduce your risk of ovarian cancer, stopping ovulation, as does having lots of kids. Um, because when you're pregnant, you don't ovulate, as does breastfeeding. Because when you breastfeed, you don't ovulate. This isn't to tell women you're a bad person if you don't have children and you don't breastfeed. But there are significant benefits to your own self and that does reduce your risk of ovarian cancer. And then in terms of options, there has been incredible research done in the last, really in the last decade, that shows that the majority of ovarian cancers actually start in your fallopian tubes. And having your fallopian tubes removed when you are done having children, because it does make you sterile, significantly reduces your chance of ovarian cancer, which is a much different surgery than having a total hysterectomy. You don't have to remove your ovaries. Yeah. It's done laparoscopically and it's a it's a very different road to take. I had mine taken out when I was in my at 45, I was done having children. My sisters did as well. And I'm not BRCA positive, but because my mother was so young with her ovarian cancer diagnosis, she was diagnosed at 48, passed away at 53. 
I'm considered at increased risk. So I think what you're doing in terms of your preventive care is so significant and so amazing. Having vaginal ultrasounds, seeing your doctor so regularly and being so on top of your health and wellness. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough. You're such a, an example for so many young women. I'm so excited to talk to you and to put these snippets out there in the world. It's so important. And just taking, like I said from the beginning, taking control of your health and your wellness. And I don't think you have to say, you know, almost in a, I don't want to say you're saying it in an apologetic sense that you're a person who does things right away. I think that's obviously part of your personality, but I think that's incredibly important and also just you know, what you've done to make a difference for your own body. And like you said, surgery is not a cakewalk and what you had to deal with at post-surgery and going through it, you set yourself up for success and what you dealt with was certainly easier than the potential alternative. So honestly, just, you know, good for you and sharing that information with your sister who obviously watched you go through it, I would assume will help her and help her on her potential journey, what she decides to do and any other family members and any friends that you have that might go down the same road or want to then find out information about themselves, have a history of cancer in their family. Most Ashkenazi Jewish people do not, Jewish women do not know that just by being Ashkenazi Jews, we are at increased risk for breast ovarian cancer. People think it's an Ashkenazi Jewish disease, specifically ovarian cancer. It's not, but we are at increased risk. And so that gives us the need to be more vigilant. And the last question I want to ask you about is for a lot of women, and I've talked to women, it's difficult to go down the road in terms of insurance and figuring out and going through the process and finding doctors who will take care of you. Did you? come up against any hurdles or anything along those lines? Yeah. Oh yeah. Insurance was like salt in the wound. I like to say, um, (laughs) it is so confusing. Yeah. Especially when you're being given this information, you're overwhelmed. You're having to make these decisions and now you have to navigate insurance and healthcare. That alone is confusing, having to call with the codes to make sure you understand what your benefits are, you know, and you're getting one answer here, you're getting one answer there. It was a really frustrating process. I ended up going to doctors that were out of network. It ended up being so expensive for me because my policy which is not very clear because you think you only have, you know, you have an out-of-pocket cost, so they'll cover what everything else. They only pay for my double mastectomy at Medicare rates. What I ended up owing, I think was about $54,000. And I'm pretty sure they Whoa. paid maybe 8000 of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I luckily had been saving my entire life and had probably about $54,000 saved. So I was really lucky to be able to pay for that because I know that's not everyone else's situation. And I just thought, this is why I've been saving, right? What else am I going to, you know, this is my health, my happiness, but it was so confusing to really understand how much they would end up paying. Um, I also felt as if, because I tried to make the case that, you know, these were the only doctors I could find 
that did this type of surgery. I think it's a, maybe a little bit more common now, but four years ago, I couldn't find anyone in my insurance that did the direct implant. And that's what I wanted. And so for me, I thought there was a case there of saying, I need to go out of network to be able to choose the type of surgery I want to have. But they denied that. So I unfortunately had to you know, pay the money. But I think like there needs to be something better out there because I think not only are you so overwhelmed and you're dealing with so many emotions to have to navigate the insurance part of it, you really do need more support. Yeah. And the alternative, if you were to get cancer, would be so much more expensive. You would assume that insurance would be happy to cover that because the cost would be tenfold if you ended up with cancer and chemo and radiation and the surgeries on top of that. So it's, it's a, it's a real cluster. That is one of the things that the Lynn Cohen foundation that we work really hard to do. And to, I mean, just from the beginning, we have women that come to us that can't even get bracket testing because they don't have enough family members who have had cancer. They are not deemed at high enough risk and just being able to do the testing, they can't get covered by insurance. So it's, it's a real it's, it's, it's a tough road to go down if the right people aren't holding your hand. So good for you for navigating that on your own, it sounds like, and also using your savings, you know, to save your life. There's no better cause, obviously, but that's a lot. That's a lot to do. And, and it sounds like you had a really good support network behind you. So clearly that's one of the reasons you were able to do that. And you're such an example to so many women. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I'm really excited to talk to you and to have had the opportunity to do so and to tell your story. I think there are many other opportunities that we can talk together. Um, I know you haven't, how old's your baby? She's eight months. Oh my God. Well, congratulations, Mazel Tov. And when she's a little older and you have more time on your hands, let's do more things together and, uh, and get you out there so more people can hear your story and be inspired by the road that you have taken. So thank you so much for today. Thank you so much. It was a true pleasure for me to be able to share my story. And I just think it's amazing that you have this podcast and I think it will really help so many people. So can't thank you enough as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will talk soon. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.